We have been a top 10 UK business podcast a few times on the official Apple podcast chart. But do you know what? I really hope our former guests don't listen to every single episode or specifically this episode, because I think this might be my favourite interview that we've done across the two series. This week's guest is Andy Peters. For me, my first relationship with Andy Peters was as a viewer, as a child. I mean, I'm 42, he has just turned 50 himself. He used to present a thing called the broom cupboard. Now, the broom cupboard used to be the thing you watched on Children's BBC and they literally linked all of the shows that were on Children's BBC. So right the way from about half past three up until Neighbours at half past five, you would go between every single show, whether that was, I don't know, Grange Hill, Why Don't You, Biker Grove, they would go to Andy or his predecessor, Philip Schofield and Andy Crane. And that enough, that on its own would be a reason enough to talk to Andy Peters. I mean, talking to huge audiences at any one time. But he then took a kind of different approach to his career. He then took a TV executive role. He went to Channel 4 and he oversaw a TV show called The Big Breakfast. That was an incredible news-making show. He also then went on to be in charge of T4, that was just an incredible youth programming strand on weekend mornings. He was also responsible at one stage for Top of the Pot. So why is it my favourite interview? Well, for a number of reasons. One, he gives a unique insight into what life is like in front of the camera and behind the camera and coming up with ideas. Two, he knows knows more about that world and indeed my world of kind of advertising and the importance of brands and talking to youth audiences in a unique way than perhaps anybody else we've ever spoken to. And finally, he's not humble, but he's certainly not bragging. He's just aware that the work that he has done is the work that's spoken about 10 years after it's not been on TV. He's aware that he's brought things to TV content, both in front and behind the camera, that nobody else has in the UK. We recorded this a couple of weeks ago, the day before Andy Peters' 50th birthday. I think it makes a brilliant listen. We recorded on Skype, which is something we've not done before, and apparently there's a bit of digital echo on there, so forgive the technical issues. We're learning all the time. Let us know what you think. This is the last one in the series of Rocket Fuel. We're going to come back with a few highlights whilst we're off for about four to six weeks before we start the next series. But have a listen. We find out about his background, his beginnings. We get stuck into his work and it's brilliant conversation. And then we ask Andy Peters for his Rocket Fuel. So the first thing to say is Andy Peters, TV broadcaster, TV executive, TV professional. Thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Well, can I just say thank you for such a lovely intro? Well, there we are. It's, it's so good to have you, Andy. Um, I, I sort of theorise that everybody has their own broom cupboard presenter, a bit like everybody has their own James Bond or their own Doctor Who. And in full disclosure, I think mine was half of Andy Crane and half of you. But I also mm-hmm. think that everybody has their own Andy Peters, because some people will know you from, from The X Factor, some people will know you from Good Morning Britain, some people... So why don't you bring to life, I mean, I will have done some job in the introduction, but perhaps not as good as 
as you. What's been your journey? Bring it to life for us. Oh, well, my journey has been a, a really interesting one. I started in a shop in Oxford Circus in London uh, called Top Man and Top Shop, where I had a Saturday job uh, working in the shop uh, in men's menswear. Uh, you know, and I was hanging up escadrilles, which are those sort of floating shoes, yeah. uh, shoes you wear on the beach. And there was a radio station at the shop called Radio Top Shop. And the DJs were really, really great guys. So I used to go and hang out with the DJ and talk yeah. to them. And then one day, one of the DJs didn't turn up and nobody in the shop knew how to turn on the radio station. And it's a really vast shop. So I don't know if, if you know London, it's where Nike Town is now. Yeah. Uh, and I said, well, I'll give it a go because I go down there quite often. I reckon I can work out what they all do. <laughs> I did. And then lo and behold, sort of two months later, I stopped hanging up epidurals and I had a job working in the radio station, uh, being there sort of goes for and reading the news. And then eventually I got to be a DJ on the radio station. All as well is my Saturday job. And yeah. then a TV producer heard me. She said, I think you're very funny. Have you ever thought about working in television? I said, no. Uh, I said, well, if you ever do, here's my business card. Get in touch, you know, because I think there could be something there. So, you know, in those days, there weren't mobile phones. I mean, I'm ancient, obviously. Uh, there weren't mobile phones. There weren't, there weren't you know, um, Polaroid cameras, I don't even think. So I went down in Dr. Circus tube station, took some pictures in the photo me booth and sent them to her, you know, two months later and said, look, you mentioned that, you know, you're looking for TV presenters always. Well, here I am. Didn't hear anything back. Phoned her office. Her assistant answered the phone and said, actually, I remember she told me about you. Let me just put you on hold. She put me on hold. And then the woman, the lady said, I say the woman, the lady gave me a break in television. said, look, we're actually looking for a new presenter for shows. Can you come for an interview? I did an interview. I did two auditions. They gave me the show. That wow. show was called Free Time. It was on ITV in 1988. And then whilst I worked there, the people who ran Children's BBC got in touch and said, we'd like you to come and work here instead. So I said, That's oh, incredible. Okay. <laughs> and I was only 18 at the time. And I said, OK, so I went to the BBC and kind of worked there for 10 years. And the BBC included the broom cupboard. It included yeah. live, oh, and kicking. live and kicking. Live and kicking, the ozone, uh, the uh, and the um, short change, good fortune, children in yeah. need. The list is endless, the number of shows I did at the BBC. And after that, and we'll come on to really get under the bonnet of your work, you became almost, well, behind the camera. So you produced Top of the Pops. You were, you came up with the T4 format. Is that broadly yeah. right? Yeah, that, no, that's very much right. I mean, where I got my production skills were, whilst I was at Children's BBC, there weren't very many producers and directors. But we used to have to obviously make little short VTs, etc. And one day I said, look, I've been directed for the last five years by directors can I have a go at directing? And my boss at the time said, okay, go and make a film. And then I went into producing and directing and that grew from there. I ended up producing The Ozone. And yeah, and then when I left there to go to ITV as a producer, then I left ITV to go to Channel 4 as a commissioning editor. Then I went back to the BBC as an exec of the top of the box. And then I went back to presenting. Yeah, you've got, kind of gone full circle. I was going to ask you this later, but I know it's a big thing to ask. What do you prefer, coming up with the ideas and producing or presenting? What What, what are you, you most know, gifted at? It's such a different... Look, I always go back to being a presenter got me to become a producer. So therefore, yeah. I have to be loyal to being a presenter. And also, <laughs> when you're a presenter, it has, it has its own good things and bad things, but you traditionally don't take your work home with you. So I always look at people who work in Sainsbury's and think when their shift ends, they just go home. Yeah. You know, none of them have got a till in their house. And I always think, you know what, there's something to be said for when you finish work, you finish work and yeah. you go home. 
as an exec producer, a commissioning editor, or whatever, that never happens. You're always working. As a presenter, you can switch off a little bit because you're not on the television. So throughout your career, have you had a mentor? You spoke about the, the lady that gave you your first big break. Have you stayed in touch with different people to guide you on your career? And do you mentor anybody yourself? I, I haven't really stayed in touch with many people, you know, because it's a very transient yeah. industry. But certainly I've mentored a lot of people. And I still do mentor a lot of people who, you know, along the way I've helped or given opportunity, you know, I've employed a lot of people, a lot of whom are in very powerful positions now, which is, you know, good to see and see them be yeah. successful, you know, and, and I have a very good knit, close knit friends and family. So, you know, and I think I'd like to, I'm quite level, I'm quite sort of analytical. So therefore okay. I just do things based on gut or I always say gut or graphics, as in, tell me the statistics, let me work out the probability, let me make a decision. Okay. And you, 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 TV is a teamwork job, right? There's a, there's a yeah. lot of team that, whether it's on the presenting side and you're being produced or the production side, is there a commonality to the sort of people that you like to work with? What qualities must they have? Or does everybody bring something a bit different? I think everybody brings something a bit different. I think the, the quality you must have is passion. You must right. be passionate about what you do. And people always laugh about, I'm obsessed with detail. I'm okay. obsessed with detail in television. You know, one frame is out is too much for me. Or, oh, that graphic just needs to be, it's not quite in the centre. Somebody will argue with me, go, it is in the centre. And I'll say, right, let's get a grid up. Oh, look, there we go. It's not in the centre. It's one degree too far to the right. So I'm obsessed with detail. And how do you like to be managed? What's what's the what's the the top tip to get the most out of Andy Peters? <laughs> um, I think it's the same with anybody. Give me the tools to do my job, and hopefully I can do the job brilliantly. And in terms of this going back to presenting, um, what was it that almost gave you the bug to go back in front of the camera? Was, I kind was... of never stopped. I kind of never stopped. It, right. Uh, I was always doing bits and pieces uh, of television, uh, yeah. you know, all the time. And then I just decided that, you know, I wanted to go back to it full time because I really enjoy it. It's something it's, you know, that I've always loved. And it's, you know, as I said, it got me here. So therefore, I didn't want to leave it behind. TV's right through almost everything you've done. I noticed that you you went into the audio world with a podcast last year. Um, have other mediums ever given you anything to inspire you or has it always been a tv focus since you were first introduced to it yeah, t tv has always been the focus i love I, you know i love tv and as i said you know i'm loyal to tv because it's been very good to me uh, i think you know doing the podcast there were opportunities that came up but i didn't want to miss out on so i did them um you know i'm a, I'm a stickler for you know having opportunities and going for it i, I just I, I truly believe if, if someone gives you an opportunity you know take it with both hands because you never know where it might lead just in terms of switching off are you any good at switching off mm, i could be better i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure it could be better at switching off <laughs> but you know I, I again i just you know you, 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 i'd like to think i'm good at managing my time and i think that's really important certainly in this day and age uh, where you know people's mental health is so so important I think it's really, you know, I think it's really important to make sure you're doing all you can to get the best out of yourself. And if that means resting and not working for an hour or two or whatever, then make sure you do it. You know, one of the things I was very, very strict about with any production team that I work with is that the team take holidays because okay. absolutely you've got to, you've got to rest. You can't, you know, television can make you work at a thousand miles per hour constantly. 
rest is important just to let you even recharge your creativity that's important so i've been always been a real stickler for people must take holiday where they need you know when they need to you're entitled to it for a reason i want to ask two more questions in this section where we're getting to know you as a person the mm-hmm. first one i would uh, i'd sort of say have you noticed a shift in yourself were you once the king of innovation whereas now you're the king of safe hands were you do you know what i mean how important has innovation been to your career uh, innovation has been really important to my career because when you look at my track record a lot of what i've done has been new t4 had never been mm. done before even things stylistically within t4 are only now being picked up by network channels mm. um, and, and that stuff we did you know 15 years ago 20 mm. almost 20 years ago so in that respect that's innovation safe hands i wouldn't say i'm, I'm a i think i still innovate i think i'd like to think i innovate every time i'm on the television i think the difference is nowadays there's so much more red tape with television and in the sector of television i work primarily in which is competitions and giveaways on itv there are a lot of things that legally have to be done and said at certain times sure i get that and then final question in this bit um, what would you say professionally you're known for if there are one or two things? The broom cupboard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, presenting the broom cupboard. And again, it, it, if you ask people now, it would be, you know, different audiences know me for different things. Yeah. You know, presenting the broom cupboard, children's BBC, if, if you ask an older person, if you ask a younger person, they'll be, he's the bloke that gives away money on ITV. <laughs> and just on you kind of raised the point about seeing some of the things that you've brought to the world of television um i mean shipwrecked gets updated all the time you've mentioned yeah. some of the stylistic things from t4 that you'll see creep into to modern day tv now how does it make you feel are you are you kind of proud parent when you see things like that still prospering and techniques still going that you've that you've brought yeah <laughs> i think I'm, anything like that visually creatively i'm i am very much proud parent and very much pat myself and the people i work with on the back and say wow look what we did more importantly i'm a proud parent with the people that i've worked with who have gone on to do bigger and better things i get so much joy of seeing people that i've worked with or given opportunity to ascending through television that is a fantastic feeling So I'm still here with Andy Peters, TV broadcaster, TV producer. I just want to kind of get now under the bonnet of some of the things that you've done in your career, Andy. Why don't we start with a format like Top of the Pops? I wanted to start there because it's an existing format. And when you're given the job of taking a brand and a program like Top of the Pops every week on BBC One, what is the scope to experiment with a format like that? And what's expected of you? Well, again, it's a really easy question to answer. When, I, when the BBC approached me to go to the BBC and exec produce Top of the Pops, it was the same man who was approaching me that had seen, me, seen my work at Channel 4. He, he'd watched what I did with T4. And they had a sole purpose to get more 16 to 24-year-olds watching BBC One. That was their mission. Right. They came to me, and I remember I was sitting in a restaurant in Holland Park, and the head of entertainment and the head of music uh, came and said, look, we would love you to come and revitalise Top of the Pop. And, I've, and, and, and again, I'm kind of, I, in the production world, I'm, kind of, I'm known for my 
Maverick's too strong a word, but I, I, I always have a way of doing things. It could be a flamboyant way. Uh, uh, you know, I want to do things differently. I love to do things differently. Um, and I remember very clearly at this lunch saying, OK, if I come, if I want to broadcast the programme upside down, none of you can say it can't be done. And they, and they both looked at each other. I always remember they both looked at each other and thought, is he for real? <laughs> and, and, and one of them said, but, uh, but what happens if, you know, what will the viewers think? Said, no, 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 no. You've gone one step too far. You're thinking about the viewer. I'm thinking about my career. You've asked me to get you viewers. If I believe that broadcasting show upside down is the only way to get them, you're going to have to let me do that. Otherwise, I don't think I can come. And no sooner as I said that, the big boss went, yeah, that's fine. And I have to say, to this day, he supported every decision I made with Cubby Pops. And those, when you take a brand like that and the journey you took Top of the Pops on, give us an example of some of those things that perhaps when I was watching it, I wouldn't have noticed as a viewer or one wouldn't have noticed as a viewer, but it was a stylistic change that, that was of the moment. Well, when we first took over the Top of the Pops, and I say we because I brought in a team. So when I took over the show, I had to do six weeks of old Top of the Pops. Right. Setting up the all new Top of the Pops. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it, and that was quite difficult because then you're using, you've got a team running the old version and you're trying to get a team ready to launch, in effect, a brand new TV show. Yeah. Um, at the same time. So that's quite, that in itself is quite daunting. And you're still learning the ropes. Luckily, I'd already worked with BBC for many years, but not in that capacity. Yeah. Um, and so it's all about bringing in brilliant people. I think that is my skill, is finding brilliant people who now have to do their jobs. Because if you surround yourself with brilliant people, everything should work. Um, and everybody I brought in to launch Top of the Pops was an expert in their field, from the runners all the way up to the series producer. Um, and I think even we turned the show back to being fully live every week. Yeah. We turned the show into having all live vocals where possible. Obviously, um, the, the frog, was it the frog? Oh, yeah, that was the frog. Yeah, crazy frog, yes. Yeah, that was number one for a lot of weeks. Of so, you know, so where possible, we, you know, we would always have live vocal tracks. We'd have more live performances than ever had been done before because playing live costs more money, etc. But that you have to then be work on the budget really strictly. Little things like that, you know, the fact that we then had the magazine tie in, we then had the brand tied in around. Nobody would have seen how many top of the pops we were making for the world audience. We were making top of the pops Germany, top of the pops France, top of the pops New Zealand. Wow. Um, you know, we were making that many versions of top of the pops as well. Um, so it wasn't a fixed set. The set would change every week. Again, most people probably didn't notice, but the set changed every single week. Wow. Yeah. Not many That's... TV shows would be, would be brave enough to do that, but we did. And as a, almost as a professional, what gives you more of a thrill? Is it moulding an existing format like Top of the Pops or creating something new like T4? And what oh, are the metrics for success? New. Yeah, I thought you might have said that. Something new. Oh, my gosh. Give me a blank piece of paper. Because I also worked on Big Breakfast. Yeah, oh, did it? Now that, I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, what era? I joined Channel 4, mm. I, I became commissioning editor of The Big Breakfast. Oh, wow. Um, so when I got there, but The Big Breakfast had been on for probably five, six, maybe, I don't know how many years it'd been on for. And then I get, in, I get put in charge of the show. So, again, there's a really established brand. Yeah. You're going in and... 
you know, I'm not, I don't believe in change for change's sake. I really don't. If it's working, keep it because, you know, that is working. I think the metrics are, is it something, you know, and again, only hindsight tells me this. Is it something people talk about 10 years later? P4 is, yeah. top of the pops is, the broom cupboard is. Yeah. So obviously these are things that had a connection with the audience. Just for the benefit of the listening audience, The Big Breakfast was the TV show that kind of launched Chris Evans um, on mainstream TV. It was on 6 till 9 or 7 till 9 on Channel 4 every morning. Uh, 7 till 9. 7 till 9, 7 till 9 every till morning nine. on Channel 4. And, so I never, I never worked on it with Chris Evans. I worked right. with Johnny Vaughan and Denise. So you were the Johnny and Denise era, which was kind yes. of the renaissance, right? Because there was a yes. bit in the middle with Sharon the swimmer, Sharon yeah, Davis. And, right. yeah, yeah. And then, so that was the renaissance that brought it back massively into the public psyche, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Go. It was such a great show. It was such a clever, clever, clever show. Take us on the T4 journey, if that's all right, Andy. I'm really keen to know. Almost, I can't even remember what used to be on on Channel 4 on weekend mornings. What we, Waltons, go on, bring it. Was on. The Waltons <laughs> was on on Channel 4. I mean, the Waltons was barely in colour. And yeah. when I arrived at Channel 4, um, and they brought me in to look after children. They didn't really have any children's programmes. They said, can you come and do children's programmes and the big breakfast? Right. Um, and I said, yeah, that's fine. And then when I got there, I just kept looking at the ratings every Monday going, this Walton thing is so off-brand for this channel. You know, mm. Channel 4, this really hip, out-there channel. And I kept thinking, the Waltons, why do they show the Waltons? And it, you know, and it was doing steady ratings, and I just went to my boss and said, can I have that airtime, please? I'll come up with something better to go in that airtime. And again, my boss at the time said, that's why I brought you in to do things differently. So I remember, you know, the Times saying it was a disgrace that we were taking the Waltons off Channel 4. <laughs> but do you know what? The repeat of the Waltons in sepia, brackets, just one bit better than black and white, was making no money for the channel. Let's at least try and make some money for the channel. Because what you have to always remember is, you know, ITV Channel 4, we're commercial channels. We're there to make money. Great right. television, but at the end of the day, it's a business. And so I created T4 and it was, I created it all by myself. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I went and hired somebody who'd worked with me at Children's BBC because it was a linking device. And people think linking devices are easy. They're not. And I knew mm. to go and get somebody that would understand how to set it up and make it work. And he did. He was amazing. Uh, and he was, interestingly, he was so not Channel 4, but he was brilliant at being able to understand how to make a linked device work. Wow, okay. Everyone used to say, so not Channel 4. I said, no, I know he's not, but he's brilliant. He's got, I don't, he doesn't need to be very Channel 4. All the people below him need to be. That's the key. He doesn't need to be the brains at the top. Everyone below him can be very Channel 4. And I remember the head of human resources saying, you always have such young people. I was like, yeah, because <laughs> one of my rules, you know, one of my rules is everybody watching the programme, everybody making the programme should be the audience who would watch the programme. So, yeah. you know, I want someone in their 20s working on the show because they know what they would watch. That's the important thing. And with T4, just taking it back to there, the, your point about it being a linking device, which is such a good point, and now I do remember it as a linking device, but I never did. I never, no. I always saw it as a standalone programme with almost yeah, other exactly. sub-brands within it. So yeah, that's, that's exactly, the art. That's, yeah, that, exactly. You should, you know, and remember, it made, 
Ben Shepard famous. It made Dermot O'Leary famous. It made Margarita Taylor famous. It made Vernon Kay famous. It made Jupiter Pong famous. You know, because Simon Amstel too. Was he your yeah, era? Sorry, yeah. Sorry, that's just even the people on them. Yeah. They got Mikita Oliver. Yeah. Simon Amstel. Um, Keith Lemon. Yeah. Lee Francis. You know, the, they were all, so it, it was of an era. It really was. And we, again, we were ahead of our time. We used new technologies. You know, we, we did everything, op, you know, all studios inside. And I just kept saying, my favorite thing about this morning is that the studio you can see outside. That's my favorite thing about this morning is that yeah. the real world is going on behind Richard and Judy. And so I just said, the canteen at Channel 4. That's got a lovely big window. Let's do the show from the canteen. And I remember my boss saying, what? I said, We're gonna, I'm going to build a studio in the canteen on Sundays only. Is that all right? You know, he kind of just looked at me and I was like, okay, let's do it. And that's what we did. And that became the studio, the canteen. So let's focus on the creativity just for a second. I'd, so Top of the Pots, the Big Breakfast, T4, huge, almost influential brands, if you like. Could any of them work now would any of them work now what's what what almost what are the strands that could still work um i think what do i think <laughs> i think t4 could work definitely i think in this netflix era t4 could definitely work and actually if i was doing t4 now i would do binge weekend so i yeah. would take a series and i would run three episodes back to back on the same day i invented the Hollyoaks omnibus Oh, wow. Which is in effect that. It's a week's worth of holiday. Yeah. yeah. So I would do that with TV series now because people are so used to watching three episodes in a go. That's what I would do. I think Top of the Pops wouldn't work. The reason I'd left Top of the Pops before the BBC took it off the air, but interestingly, they still bring it back every Christmas. Yeah. Um, I, because the way we consume music has changed so much. So even when Top of the Pops started, the numbers started to go down. By the way, in the 16 to 34 market, the numbers were always high. It was in what we call individuals, the number was going yep. down. Because we consume music in a different way. So, you know, one of the things I kept citing to people was, it was around the time the internet was becoming popular. So actually, if Beyonce's released a video, no one's going to wait seven days to, to see it on the television. They'll just go online and find it. So that whole thing of we're playing Beyonce's new video, well, actually... We're going to have the first television transmission of it. That's fine, but it'd be on the internet for four days. Yeah. And that's so, just... So, so I don't think that would survive now. I don't think Toggle Pops would survive now. And if you talk to any program controller, most of them will say to you, music doesn't rate on television. Unless it's event television, music doesn't rate. And traditionally, even three years ago, we would have called the X Factor event television. Yeah. Now even the X Factor doesn't really work on Saturday no. night. So sure. I think music and television has a really odd relationship. And, and, and I don't think any of us can put our finger on it. You know, the, the, the format I think that would work on television still is an audience with. Yes, sure. I, I think that format would still work. But again, ITV don't use it very much anymore. But I do think, because everyone's scared of putting music on television now. I want to focus on the commerce and the business angle of TV for a second. You've already mm -hmm. kind of preempted one of my questions, which was going to be as a presenter and a producer, how close to the commercial side of the business should you be? And are you personally? And you've already kind of said you're painfully aware that commercial channels need to make money. Yeah. As a presenter, as, sorry, as a producer, you're, you're, you're very aware. You're very aware that, you know, ultimately what funds your program is what goes on in the commercial break in your program. And, you know, so therefore your budgets are linked to how well the channel is doing. As a presenter, it, again, 
Piers Morgan, you know, made a very good quote recently about, you know, he's come, you know, he does the biggest news program on ITV, which is Good Morning Britain. And halfway through it, we do a competition to win a car. Now, mm. CNN would never do that. But the way CNN is funded versus the way that Good Morning Britain is funded is very different. And actually, the commercial yep. reality is, is that ITV is a commercial channel and has to make money. So therefore, we have to have commercial breaks and we have to have parts of the show that generate revenue. And this might be a personal question. I mean, it, Andy, you don't have to answer this. But one no. thing that struck me about if you like your own career, and I might be incorrect as well, is it seems like everybody in the world that goes on the presenter-producer journey has their own production company. But you've never had that. You've, you've worked directly for Channel 4 and the BBC. Is that a conscious decision or is that just the way it's worked out? It's a little bit of both. Um, okay. One thing I hate is paperwork. And if you run your, if you run, when you run your own company, there's a lot of paperwork. Um, if I, if, you know, if I owned all the things I've created, I would be a multi, 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 multi millionaire. Yeah. I also think the ability to do a lot of the things I've done is because the risk has laid with someone else. Therefore, i.e., the channel. Therefore, I, you know, would T4 have got off the off the ground if I said I wanted to do it as an independent? Absolutely not, because the way the channel is budgeted, they would never have paid a separate company to make T4. As it happens in the end, we did, but at the beginning, we never would have. So it, it's a little bit of both by design and by, you know, fortuity, if there's such a word. Sure. In terms of looking at TV, you've already mentioned event TV, kind of looking at the whole TV industry with a helicopter view. Event yeah. TV, is, is linear TV for youth audiences completely dead apart from event TV, or do you still think there's a future? I think, it's, I think, that, I think that question is more timely now than ever before. Because of coronavirus, and that's all being locked in our houses for 15 weeks, I think we really did change the way we watch television. And I would have said Netflix, YouTube, Amazon, all of those things were, were, were steadily chipping away at linear television. I think, I think time will tell. I, I, I'm not going to say dead, but I'm going to say people watch television differently now. I think I'm not even sure event television. And actually, what you've got to remember is Netflix and Amazon are now doing event television. They never used to do event television. They yeah. used to do everything with a series that did. Now they're releasing things weekly. They're, whole, they're doing the concerts and streaming them. And mm. so I think the challenge for terrestrial television is to change the way that they make money. So terrestrial commercial television will be generating different revenue streams. And at the same time, how do you get people in front of the seat that at exactly the time you want them in front of the seat? Not quite sure that's easy to do anymore. So yeah. Therefore, the only thing left to do is take them on in the streaming market, which is what BritBox is. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, BritBox is just the UK's answer to Netflix. And um, arguably a few years too late. But yeah, oh, I, I, I know. Yeah. It, I don't know. <laughs> you're, exactly. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. And just on this event television, let me just chuck something else at you, only because it's one of the few thoughts I've had that I think makes sense is what was interesting to me during the lockdown period, certainly at the start, was how social media almost changed to go towards live events. So you look at something like Joe yeah. Wicks in the morning and Jamie yeah. Oliver, that was that was YouTube doing event television. You look at brands like we happen to work for London Aquarium and they, they were doing a live stream of their various different fish tanks and people were tuning in live. So, so maybe it's going full circle. Maybe we're seeing the social channels go back towards events. So I don't know. Yeah, I, no, no, I think, I, I think you have a really, really good point there. A really good point. 
Because I think, yeah, that Joe Wick stuff. And there's, and there's probably, we all talk about the Joe Wick one, but there's probably a couple more below him as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, who were still doing good numbers, you know, and, and were making, you know, getting good reach. And of course, yeah. they live on the platform then. Yeah. They already live on the platform where, you know, so they are Netflixable because they're, they're there. They go there to stay. When anybody looks at a TV program now, have they got to, I mean, producing and or presenting it, the kind of production side, have they got to think about its social media presence as well? I think, yes, I do. I think, you know, look at the James Corden show. Yeah. The James Corden show was born out of, we must make Instagrammable clips. They were very clear on there. We must make, it must be able to be, have bites. So carpool karaoke. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. You know, it can go into bite size quite easily. Boom, it's sent around the world. And they knew that, you know, when they started. I think you do have to think about that now. And again, I think terrestrial television is still playing catch up. I want to ask a question on the wider, almost mechanics of the British media, because you've worked for Channel 4 and the BBC, um, like public service broadcasters. And I just kind of want to bring to life almost the importance of both of those organisations. I mean, Margaret Thatcher was on Saturday Superstore. Do you know what I mean? There's a rich heritage of actually that public service side. How much of a public service sensibility do you have having worked for them both? And how important is it to keep that there? I think you one never loses it. Uh, you don't. You know, when you've done, you know, 12 years at the BBC, yeah. you never forget about thinking about, oh, the audience, is it the right thing? Are we informing, educating at the same time? Um, you never forget that. That's, you know, that, that's always there. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, you, you, I think you always do have a responsibility to the audience, always. So you want to always make sure you're doing the best you can for them. And doing things, you know, I always say through the eyes of the audience. You know, you want to be doing things, you know, you're doing it for the eyes, for the audience. Final question in this bit about your work, Andy, and you don't have to touch this with a, um, with a, with a barge pole if you don't want to. I want to ask a question just in the current times, or actually in any times, around race and your background. Because... Mm-hmm. I've never seen, I know I might be being ignorant and, you know, I'm white middle class bloke, so that wouldn't be the first white middle class bloke to be ignorant. I've never seen you speak about it and and wear it heavily. I've seen the brilliant clip on Good Morning Britain uh, about how you've always been the same colour and, and that made me laugh a lot. But has it been well, a factor in that? Oh, it was great. I forget who the person was, but he said, I really like the colour scheme you're in. I oh, think he was talking was, about was your Dan, clothes. It was yes. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you said, I've always been the same colour. Yeah. <laughs> it was excellent. Has it, has it been a factor in your career? And, and is it something you're conscious of almost in the next generation of talent? I think, look, um, we are, in, we are in, in times now where these things are looked at slightly differently. Uh, you know, I'd like to think I've never had a job because of the colour of my skin. I've had the job because I'm the best person for the job. That's really important to me. Um, I think that, again, television isn't a soapbox for me to stand on. I go on television to inform and entertain. I have talked about, you know, again, working with peers. You can ask you any question at any time. So recently I have had a few, um, you know, I have, I have raised the subject a couple of times about, you know, the lack of diversity in television which there is a lack of diversity on screen and off screen. Um, I myself, you know, luckily, very luckily, I'm on television every day of the week. 
uh, every yeah. weekday. Uh, you know, now that's as maybe I'm not in a mainstream role. I've got, you know, I'm not hosting, uh, uh, you know, a great big show, but I am on television every day. The one thing I will say is in 1999, sorry, 1989, I was on television every day, 12 million viewers on Children's TV before Neighbours. So mm. lots of people came home and watched the black man on television. Now you, there are no black men hosting mainstream TV shows. We seem to have gone backwards. So I'm still here with Andy Peters, TV broadcast professional. This is the rocket fuel section of the podcast. So almost actionable insights, a bit of future gazing for our audience of media, marketing, tech, youth, culture professionals to take away and use in their daily lives. So some yeah. big questions, Andy, no pressure. First yeah. one, what do you know about young audiences? I think I know quite a lot about young audiences from having created T4, which was, you know, a television for a duvet generation, as we used to call it. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, and I'm talking about young as in young adults, not children's television. So that's yeah. a really different uh, kettle of fish. But certainly um, television, you know, for, for 15 to 30 year olds. Uh, I think I know quite a lot about it. But and I think my track record in creating T4 and working on E4 says it all. And what do you think then is important to young audiences? Uh, I think the authenticity. Yeah. One of the things I used to say to program makers who were making shows for T4, I always said, I don't want anything that you could watch on children's BBC. I don't <laughs> want a children's program. I want a show made for young adults. So let's push the boundaries. Let's, let's walk up to the line. Let's occasionally put our toe on the line. Let's never cross the line in, television, in what we're doing. But we've got to have different. And I think that for me is you want to show respect. You want everything to be real. You want everything to be, we're not trying to hide it. This is what it is. And, you know, I used to have this phrase I'd say to the team, you know, this is what it is. You know, I don't want this. So I remember when we, when I commissioned all the stationery for T4, and this is just, you know, company stationery, letterhead, envelopes, business cards. On every piece of stationery, it said what it was. So on a piece of headed A4, you'd have all the logo and stuff, but as part of the design, it would say headed A4. And the compliment slip would say, this is a with compliment slip. The business cards would say business card, because it was all about, this is what it is. It's the business yeah. card. So put on the business card, but it's a business card. And that was my whole, you know, that was, that sounds, when you say it like that, it sounds so naff, but it absolutely was what I wanted to do. We just want to be real. It needs to be real. We gave away Cornish pasties. Show me another TV show that's ever given away a <laughs> So oh, what has changed about how young audiences behave and what do you think will be the next thing to change about how they behave? Well, absolutely. I think essentially all about the, inter the internet and streaming television. I think there's no two ways about it. You know, what we will all be looking for is how they watch, how they consume and again, I use the word television, how they consume programming. Yeah. You know, that's going to be the thing. I want to ask a supplementary question, if that's all right. Do you think yeah. people are increasingly less and less loyal to the, to use the word broadcaster? So nobody took, well, some people talk about seeing stuff on Netflix, but people tend to go by the program name, not the channel name now. Do you think no, broadcast, uh, go on. No, I think disagree. I think, I think people talk about the channel it's on netflix people say it's a netflix show i think now more than ever 
I tell you what I think. I think people don't know if it's on BBC One or ITV anymore, but they know if it's on Netflix. The brand Netflix, I think, is as powerful with young people as the brand of Channel 4 or Channel 5. And the, the brand of Netflix carries so much weight. It's net, Netflix is doing... I think the Netflix, Netflix brand carries what Channel 4 carried... 15 years ago. Oh, it's a Channel 4 show. You knew it might be edgy. You knew it would be different. You knew they might swear. Netflix, I think, is the same. It's a Netflix show. Oh, a Netflix show. Well, their shows are all big budget. Their shows are really clever. Their, their shows are of the moment. I think Netflix, the brand is bigger than the programming. It's a Netflix show. So, final two questions. Who gets it right and who gets it wrong and why when they're talking to young people? You don't have to name names or name brands or name programmes, but you can if you want to. One of the brands I think that really has got it right is KFC. Um, you know, KFC is a brand where they know what they want to do. They want to sell chicken and they want to talk to young people to buy their chicken. And when they had the disaster, when they ran out of chicken, oh, the irony, uh, their agency mother, who I think were quite new to KFC then, took the whole thing on head on and absolutely owned it. And I think when it comes to consumer and certainly young people, if you look like you are out of control or you don't know what you're doing, young people will walk. But the fact is that between the brand and the agency, they took it all on and said, we're holding our hands up straight away and this is what we're going to do. It looked amazing. I think McDonald's are a fantastic brand. I, genuinely, I think it's one of the best brands in the world, McDonald's. They have a lot because they always get single-handedly blamed for teenage obesity <laughs> you know yeah. there's a lot of hamburger shops on the high street but anyway um, <laughs> they have to be more cautious and really try to appeal to the family because they are a family brand kfc absolutely we're just about the chicken and they really do talk to young people well andy forgive me blowing smoke at your ass but your knowledge of the commercial side is yeah up, yeah better than mine in many respects so <laughs> nice one nice one you, if you're in the kfc business make sure you hire me to do something all right so. dumb all right nice one <laughs> right final question is simply this one takeaway for everyone listening either something that's occurred to you during our chat andy where you thought actually everyone should walk away with that one thing or because my questions haven't been good enough one thing you haven't had the opportunity to talk about with our audience of media marketing professionals my absolute takeaway for, for everybody is no idea is a bad idea and make sure the person that is the decision maker gets to hear your idea. If that means emailing the CEO because, you know, you think you've got a great idea, do you know what? Email the CEO. Tell them your idea. No idea is a bad idea. One of the things I've always done is I believe in empowerment. And at T4, every week, somebody would have to make a decision that would affect the whole show. And whether it was the runner, who's the lowest person, or the exec producer, every week, it would be somebody else's turn to make the decision so that when we all came back and watched the show on the Monday morning, everybody would know, without me, this show couldn't have been made. And that was really important to me, that everyone had ownership of the show. It was our show. So however bad you think your idea might be, say it, because actually that might be the million-dollar idea. Andy, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. If indeed you want people to find you on social media or get in touch, where can they? And uh, uh, <laughs> if you don't, where, where do you want to send anybody to or don't you want to send anybody <laughs> to anywhere? <laughs> uh, look, I am on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, Andy Peters, all one word, A-N-D-I, Peters, as you hear it. 
and you know and i i I'd always try obviously i get you know quite a few messages etc but you know again be creative catch one's attention you never know so that was andy peters i thought he was absolutely awesome that concludes season two series two of rocket fuel i think we're going to be on a break for about four to six weeks get summer out the way get some interviews recorded we've already got some great ones lined up for the third series if you know anybody that you think could be a great guest if you want to be a guest get in touch you can find rocket at we are rocket hq across all social media i'm probably closest to twitter i'm at james erskine james er S-K-I-N-E on Twitter, so get in touch. In the meantime, there are about 20 different interviews we've done for Rocket Fuel, so do go back and have a listen, because I think some of them certainly stand the test of time. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to recommend this to anybody who you think would uh, enjoy the show. See you for another edition soon of Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.